0: Welcome this morning to our final installment of Out of the Shadows. Uh, This has been a four-week series. I encourage you that as we put a bookend on this series today, uh, that if you are just joining us, you've really picked a great time but you've also missed some of the uh, lead up to what we're talking about today. So uh, if you haven't checked out the Timber Creek Church website or the, uh, the app or checked out the podcast, you can subscribe to that. And uh, we think it'll be a help for you to, to have that in your library of spiritual development. Before I jump in though to this final installment, I do wanna mention what the beautiful video announcement girl just said. I mean, whoa, drop dead gorgeous. Uh, And smart and great and awesome and married for 21 years to her. Uh, (laughs) What she mentioned uh, for coming up next week, and that is this one standoff message, just a standalone, it's not a series, that we're calling like Stars in the Sky. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about how the Bible clearly uh, admonishes and encourages Christ followers to live uh, when people lose their spiritual geometry. When, when a nation uh, loses its moral compass, when there's the realities of everyday life and the normative culture is actually anti-biblical, how is it even anti-biblical? What does that look like? we're going to unpack some things that I promise uh, are going to be interesting to you. You may just want to pop some popcorn and come, come see. I promise to offend somebody. Somebody will be offended next Sunday. Uh, it is not about red or blue. It's not about elephants and donkeys. It's about Jesus and his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we got to deal with the realities of living in a culture that is begging for clarity and the church can't just live stuttering over major important issues my goal next week is not to unpack every single issue my goal is to address certain issues from a biblical perspective and really spend the majority of my time talking giving you some practical handlebars of how a christ follower should engage a culture that's been turned upside down regarding biblical moorings and biblical truth. So I hope you'll join us, and uh, it's going to be a great one-off week before we get started on At The Movies, which uh, is a super-duper easy intro level for you to invite a friend to church. Well, as you're going to be meat, pastor, I'm looking for meat, At The Movies, we're going to meet with God, not meet with movies. And I promise you, there are biblical truths behind what we're going to be talking about, but... Let me also encourage you, some of the most biblically mature, some of those dis, the, the greatest form of mature discipleship that you could ever engage is not memorizing another scripture verse, but inviting someone to church. A lot of people know the Bible. Well, so does the devil. <laughs> like, the devil can quote scripture too. But he's not inviting people to church. I promise you that. Well, maybe some churches. I do know some churches. They're like, you ought to go to that one. That one would be really good for you. <laughs> be an inviter, and uh, we can invite and invest together all right that's my pitch for today out of the shadows final week this has been all built up around a prayer that the apostle paul prayed for the church of thessalonica and and this church was was struggling in the culture that they were in and here was it was his prayer paul says to him may god himself the god who makes everything holy and whole make you holy and whole that you would not just be set apart but that you would be put all together that your pieces would be formed you'd be new and whole he put you together, spirit, soul, and body. So he's not just concerned about your spiritual development. He's not just concerned about your holiness. He's concerned about your hormones. From spirit, soul, and body, he cares about all of these things. And he wants to keep you fit, not get to a point where you're fit and then drift. Get to the point and then, uh, it used to be. But he wants to keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus has promised that the story of the Bible is not complete until he returns again. That the same way Jesus came, he won't come again as a baby who grows up and saves the world. He'll, he'll come as a mighty king, a, a mighty warrior king who will re- resurrect and start his own kingdom a new heaven and new earth. He is coming back someday. That's a promise in the Bible. And we want to be ready for that day, spirit, soul, and body. And so this series, Out of the Shadows, has been talking about not the big pandemic, but the pandemic behind the pandemic. We all know about the global pandemic that is a very serious issue and continues to, to be on the front page, in the front of everybody's heart and mind in this season. But I'm talking about the pandemic behind the pandemic that has been the emotional and mental health realities that people are dealing with. As we've mentioned every week, one in five people in the year 2019 were struggling with an emotional or mental health crisis. That has turned to one in two in the year 2021. A huge piece of that is the fear and the sickness and the devastation and the worry and all of the anxiety and the pressure that we have been living in and through in the uncertainty of our culture. And that mental and health realities are, are, are tearing families. They're causing divorce. They're causing mental and emotional strain that has never been felt by people before. And it's body, soul, and spirit. And there's some things that are simple that you're dealing with. Like you don't, you don't even need to pray about that. You need to, you need to eat a Snickers bar because you're just hangry, it's, it's just, you're just hangry. But then there are also some complicated issues and some complex issues. And all of that moved around, the truth is we need to talk about these things because they can be difficult to unpack because everybody may be on a little bit different. Everybody's going through something, but not everybody's going through the same thing in the same way. The truth is even in the church, mental and emotional health has been stigmatized. For years and years, mental and emotional health had kind of a stigma in the local church. And so if you were dealing with something from the neck up, like you could only get sick from the neck down, but from the neck up, like like you just need to rub some prayer on that, brother, or you just must have some unconfessed sin, or you just not believe in hard enough, you don't have enough faith, and and you just need to get in there and get to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday prayer, Thursday men's meeting with biscuits and gravy at 6. Like you just got to do all those things. And we did a lot of behavior modification and doing and doing and doing. And Jesus has been trying to tell us from the very beginning, it's not what you could do. It's who I am. And it's finding not your strength in what you do, but finding your strength in who he is and how he will guide us through what we're going through. But stigma, that whole idea is really disgrace. And the church has been guilty of disgracing people. Jesus came full of truth and grace. And I want you to know that if you struggle with an emotional and mental health issue at all, uh, being sick is not a sin. Your issue doesn't have to be your identity. Your chemistry doesn't have to make up your character. But I also want to give you a caution light here. That being sick is not a sin, but if you know you're sick and you know that you need to address it and you know that there's something that's keeping you from what God has for you and you don't do anything with it, that's you putting the control in your hands and that's when it could become sin. Your issue doesn't have to be your identity, but if you let it, if you choose not to say, hey, I'm a son and daughter of the Most High King, I am who Jesus says I am, if you want to, you can wear what people said about you. You can wear the shame, you can wear the identity that someone else wants to put on you, but that was never meant for you to wear. God has something for you, tailored to fit you. Your identity is what he says about you. And your chemistry and your character, if it's, if it's something that's affecting you, your chemistry doesn't have to be your character, but if your character is affected and you never begin to lay it bare at the feet of Jesus, it can cause issues. The good news is this. God's not looking over the, the, the wall of heaven, crossing his arm, tapping his foot, sucking on a toothpick, saying, I knew they weren't gonna get it right. The truth is God wants you to get where God wants you to go way more than you wanna get where God wants you to go. He is for you Not against you. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about loneliness and shame and depression. We also talked about that crushed spirit that some people would be dealing with. And there's also this fourth one now as we conclude this series. It it feels smaller than these. I am not going to lie. But it could be a massive spark that can start the craziest forest fire. Usually, shame, depression, loneliness, anxiety, all of that is smoke from a fire there's something deeper within and it begins to result in these things of isolation, these things of anxiety, these things of of loneliness and depression, simple, complicated, complex. But a lot of it can start with this spark. So we, we save this seemingly big one incognito. It's little, but it's a big one in disguise. It is this whole thing called offense. Offense. You and I in 2021, uh, young and old, rich or poor, whatever your ethnic background, however you've been raised, married, singled, widowed, divorced, we are living in a season of being easily offended. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are offended in how I even said amen just then. Easily offended. People offended at people over anything and everything. Yelling at the top of their thumbs on Facebook is stuff. They're just easily offended instead of scrolling by. They got to stop, set up camp. Because their comment out of the 274 comments is going to completely change the situation. I mean, we are offended in schools with teachers. We're, offend, we're offended at students. Teachers are offended at students. We, we, we have uh, people offended at, at hospitals. Hospital staff offended at people not in the hospital. We, we, we are we are bearing up against people that we would never have a conversation about these things ever. And now we, we have let, let things become so much weaponized, even in the idea of vaccination it's become weaponized and something that is offensive and if you don't agree exactly with me then i'm basically going to beat you into submission there is the offense is what creates a cancel culture and i want to tell you something not just people outside the church people inside the church not just the baby christians but the senior saints we got to deal with being so easily offended Right and left. I mean, I'm going through the Chick fil A drive through on Thursday. And you ever look at your phone when you're waiting in line? Of course you do. Of course you do. I do. I do. Okay. All right. You be you. I'll be me. I look down for like a second. For a second. I'm waiting for my chicken. I got four people in front of me. The person in front of me pulls up. The guy behind me. I'm like, and I'm like, you know what I do now is I just look for a Timber Creek sticker before I say anything. (laughs) You know, you know how it is. You know how it is. (laughs) Oh, God bless you. God bless you. Whoopsie. Honking at me. Yesterday, still, I was in, as someone called it earlier, the Lord's Kitchen, Chick-fil-A. I was in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, and, and I'd look down at my phone again, and uh, the person working the window, this hurt my feelings because it's a Chick-fil-A person. Like, they never, I mean, every one of them are like 13 years old, but like, they never, they're supposed to be perfect in there. And they said, hello? And their tone when they said, hello? because I looked up and I was all the way at the back of the Lufkin Chick-fil-A and there was nobody in front of me and they were waiting on me and it offended me. Hello, you could have said, hey, but you went, hello. I was so easily offended. That was wrong of me. Let me give you some facts on offense. If you're taking notes, write these down. There's going to be a help. I am inviting you to take this as a seven day devotion. If you've never had a practice of opening God's Word and praying every single day, use even these notes for the next seven days as a guide of sorts to help you. It'll be a tour guide to just take a couple minutes a day and calibrate your heart so that you don't live so easily offended. In a crazy culture that is demanding that that's the only way you can get things done is to live offended. Let me give you some thoughts. And look, if you're not into taking notes, like, I'm not going to take notes. um, Then just write it down and you'll be fine. (laughs) Number one, there is never a win in living offended. Offended. You may have got the last word in edgewise. You may have been able to get that zinger in before they blocked you on Facebook. There is no win in living offended. You may have won the argument that morning because they just, they sighed, and you're like, what's that sigh about? I'm getting a little too personal. That may may or may not have ever happened Monday through Friday in our house. What was that sigh about? (sighs) <sighs> nothing, Jeremy. Well, let's talk about it right now. I saw that look you just gave me. What? I wasn't even looking at you. That's Janet to me. I saw that look you gave to me, Janet. I wasn't even looking at you. Trust me, I was not looking at you. <sighs> Let me tell you something. I have learned a secret to marriage. We don't talk to each other until after nine, and we're good. 9 p.m., and we're good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. In the mor- like most, like 90-plus percent of our Spats and stuff happen before 9 a.m. We just she's, just, she's just a beast in the morning, everybody. She just is. Just pray for me, okay? She's not here today. She's at a baseball tournament, so like I get to put in all my stuff and then hear about it when she watches it online. There's no win in living. You may think you won. You did not win when you live offended. Staying offended allows bitterness to sink its teeth into your heart. Uh, that's, that's very uh, vicious. It's like a vampire. that will suck the life out of you living offended. And bitterness will, will sink its fangs into your neck when you live easily offended. Or if you just live offended. Now that word bitterness, you might think that, well, I'm good. I don't live. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm okay. But when you look at the definition of bitter, it, 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 helps, uh, it helps you kind of couch whether or not you are truly doing an accurate inventory of your heart. Bitterness is simply like anger and frustration, disappointment and potential resentment at being treated unfairly. Unf- being treated unfairly, being angry, disappointed or resentful from that can cause the roots of bitterness. When you think of bitterness from a, from a, a kitchen perspective, a culinary perspective, bitterness is like a sharpness of taste. That's how Webster defines it, a sharpness, like, ooh, mm, it's bitter. Anybody ever been around a bitter person? Yeah, yeah, like hands everywhere in the Lufkin location. You know what it's like to be around a, bitterness, a bitter person, because if you're around them long enough, you will taste the fruit, and you go, ooh, mm, that's sharp. <laughs> that is like, ugh, uh. They can't help it. They can't help it because when bit, people get bitter, all around us, people, people are receiving our fruit, and they will taste and see that you are bitter, whether you realize it or not. It's a sharpness. And bitterness wants to sink its teeth because bitterness will rot the bones, the Bible says. Here's another thought. Avoiding an offense is impossible. There's no way you're going to go unscathed in this life from having some sort of offense or being offended How do we know that? Jesus himself in Luke chapter 17 says it like this. It is impossible that no offenses should come. Do you know what the root word of impossible, what the Hebrew, what the word impossible means in Hebrew? Impossible, that's what it means. It's impossible. There's no trick there. It's impossible that no offenses should come. But let me tell you what the Greek means. That word offense in the Greek is this word... It's, it's, it's a good word. I like this word. I, I like saying this word. Scandalon. Just like it. Somebody, name, name your, this is 2021, name a kid. Name, name your kid. Scandalon. We got Judy, we got Betty, we got Sue, we got Tyler. Scandalon is Scandalon here. He's the guy in this, the Star Trek outfit in the back. <laughs> Scandalon, you see the... the front of that, scandal, scandal. It is scandalous when you live offended. Scandals offend us. It's a, it, here's what the Greek word scandalon means. Here's the definition of it. Write it down. The bait that triggers a trap to close. It is the cheese on the mouse trap. It is that the fruit and the berries and the nuts placed gently on top of the palm fronds that underneath has been a big old pit dug. And the puma is waiting and looking, coming after it. And it's going to go to that meat, going to go to the fruit, going to go to the nuts and get caught. The bait that triggers a trap to close. And some of you, and I know that I, have taken the bait. It doesn't matter how big you think you are, there is a trap for you. does not matter how seasoned you are in following Jesus, there is a trap for you. The enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says in the book of James that he uh, uses lures to entice you. Now, why do you set a trap? Well, you set a trap to kill or cage something. And some of you are living, you're not living dead to God, but you are living caged. You are living caged because of offense. Let's look at it this way. I've got, I've got some different, different traps here that um, we got, you know, a rodent kind of pest trap. Anybody remember these, the whole Zap Serena Williams, bug kind of thing and um, you lick these and they will give you more than a Red Bull. I promise. Um, you got ant, you got ant bait. Anybody haven't seen the trap? You just, you know, break one off, put it in the corner. Um, these man, these got me back in elementary school, you know, like they're the, the finger trap kind of thing. You're like, Oh, mom, yeah. oh, there's, there's how it is. I, I did not have a high IQ. Of course you got all the, the, you got these mouse traps and, uh, stuff to put in the water, perch traps. You got these 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 uh, uh, little uh, animal traps that can be set in the middle of the uh, the woods. I, ha- I had a large coyote trap and I left it I left it at the at the uh, at the house and uh, meant to get it, but I forgot it. And uh, so I've set it up for my family when they get home. It's going to be hilarious. Um, <laughs> so you got all of these different traps. The enemy knows what he can do. He is a master. Fisherman. He's a master hunter. He knows what you like. He knows what you. He knows what gets you going, and he wants to cage you and kill you with this little bitty thing called scandal. It's not even the trap, it's the cheese on the trap, it's the meat on the trap. Avoiding an offense is impossible. It's impossible. But there's good news today. Living offended is a choice. You're going to be offended. You do not have to live offended. And so, for the rest of the time we have, I want to invite you to uh, take on some practical biblical hand, handlebars on becoming wise. Uh, becoming wise like Wilson on home improvement. And he didn't just, you know, he overlooked the fence, but you can become wise like Wilson and you can overlook offense. <laughs> so for the rest of the time, let's talk about overlooking an offense. And when I say overlook, it's not like I felt overlooked at that, at that game. I felt overlooked by my coach. I felt overlooked by you when we were hanging out with our friends. and I, You just, you overlooked me. I, I, I mean looking over, seeing something better, setting your eyes on things above, not on things that want to trap you and cage You Having enough wisdom to be able to see what's in front of you, but also having the focus that I'm not going to just get stuck in this offense. I'm going to live beyond this because I'm going to smell out the scandal on and live for Jesus beyond it. So let's start with Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, the, the Bible says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory. One's glory. Powerful words there. To overlook an offense. Now, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is competence. It's the skills to pay the bills when it comes to the complex realities of life. It's easy to choose A or B when A is, you know, uh, 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 w- would, you, would you like your teeth in your mouth or in your pocket? Well, um, my dad said that but he never lived up to it but he did say it every once in a while I can choose whichever one I want I want them in my in in my mouth and not in my pocket Um, and and there's a easy choice there but when you have to have wisdom between two things a a promotion a change um, uh, two two decisions that both could go right both could go wrong and you don't know what to do or what to say and it could go either way you need wisdom for the complex realities of life and I want you to know that wisdom isn't something that you find in a book. Wisdom is a person. The book of Proverbs is written, wisdom is Jesus. Wisdom personified is Jesus in your life. He is, the way you get wisdom, get Jesus. Lean into Jesus, listen to Jesus, watch Jesus, follow Jesus, believe Jesus. See how he lives. See how he walks. See how he talks. See how he responds to criticism. See how he responds to crazy political anathema. See how he responds to intense anger and rebellion and and, uh, uh, inflammatory remarks. See how he does it. It's wisdom. So number one, not everyone overlooks an offense. Not everyone overlooks it. (laughs) Only the wisest people do. So if you're in the room today and you're like me and there's been moments where you haven't overlooked an offense, do you know that's what that's saying to you? It's saying to you and it's saying to me, those are moments where I'm being a fool. Someone who doesn't have wisdom is foolish and is a fool. That's not me saying, it's the Bible. Take it up with him. (laughs) You're a fool when you see the scandal on and you smell the scandal on and you see the trap and you've heard this message, and you go in and say, yeah, but I still wanna grab it. That's foolish. Only the wise people, it's a person's wisdom that will yield patience to overlook an offense. Number two, overlooking an offense makes me a heavyweight. <clears throat> That's Eye of the Tiger, for those of you who aren't um, Selling CDs in the, in the back in the lobby later. Uh, we, 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 we can become heavyweight champions of the world, walk around like this, but it, actually the enemy would love to turn it upside down and we like to walk around and say, I'll tell you what I told them. I'll tell you what I said. Oh, I'm not gonna let them take care. Oh, uh, they, gonna get, they gonna get all up in these fists. They are gonna get all up in these hands. Well, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. Oh, I know they didn't. Heavyweight on Facebook. Boom, done, block. Here's what makes you a heavyweight. Not because you can put, string all of those words together in an incredibly creative way. The Bible says it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. The word glory, like give God glory or bring glory to God. The word glory means the full measure of his weight. The full measure of his weight. Have you ever wrestled with your kiddos when they were young and you pin them or they turn around and they pin you? I mean, I could, I could crush my four-year-old in that moment. I just crush them. I hold back my glory. I hold back. I don't give them the full measure of my weight because I know it would kill them. God holds back a certain amount of his glory, even in the word of God, there's a holding back because it would crush them to see everything, to truly know everything. You couldn't, you, it's hard to contain it. And so his glory, the full weight, the full measure of his weight, when you are able to overlook an offense, it makes you a heavyweight in life. It brings glory to God when you don't have to fight over everything it brings glory to god when you can step away and say yeah i'm not going i'm not going i'm not going to start busting putting up the dukes on that one we love to live in our glory days we love to have that moment of glory it is to your glory to overlook an offense number 3 when i overlook an offense that word literally means step over i'm stepping over I see it, I know about it. It's not that I'm oblivious. This person did me wrong. This person said something stupid. This is inaccurate. And there is a place to speak truth in love. There is a phenomenal place. And as a matter of fact, we need to be standing up, speaking truth in love. We need to be bold. We need to be salt in a a generation and in a culture and in a nation that's losing and lost its saltiness. Like we need to stand up and be salt and light in a generation that needs that. But but we also need to know which battle to fight and how to step over and wait for the right things got to step over it. The Bible says another one in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 10, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. It steps over wrongs. And when you are offended by something that you've seen, that you've heard, that you've said, that you've misinterpreted or interpreted correctly, we love to accuse and assume the worst. It is almost like a natural tendency, like the, like the, 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 the mallet hitting the, the knee. It's like a, knee-jerk reaction to be easily offended and assume the worst about somebody. Oh, well, that's what they meant. Oh, well, they must not. Oh, who do they think they are? We are creatures that love to say, I I wonder what's the worst that could happen. That tends to be a, a default instead of, I wonder what's the best that could happen. I wonder what's the worst. And we can accuse and assume the worst. Or you can excuse and assume the best. And when I say excuse, I don't say <laughs> excuse me or excuse you or, <laughs> ex, you know, there's an excusing. There's a, there's a space that's given to assume the best. Now, here, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Can I, can I be, can I pull some of the tint the, 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 uh, off the windows today? Can I be real with you? I am going to be, I already am real with you. If you're looking for a more real pastor, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to be as real as I can be. This feels weak. It feels weak to me. I wish the Bible didn't say it. I'd, I'd like to get, I'd like to get even. I, I'd like to get my words in edgewise to the point where I wanna take control and I wanna say what I'm gonna say because that's just the way it is. And if you don't like it, sorry, get out of the kitchen You get off the tracks when the train's coming through. This feels weak. And the world will tell you it's weak. But we do not live, we are are in this world, but we're not of this world. It's not this kingdom come, this will be done. It's his kingdom come. And his kingdom is flipped where actually the meek inherit the world where actually those that can overlook an offense are the strongest and wisest among us. Hmm, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible. This feels weak, but let me challenge you on this. Who's the real weak one? Think about it. Who's the real weak one here? The one who steps over an offense and doesn't get even, doesn't let them know how that made them feel, or, The one who reaches in and grabs the scandal on. Who's the real weak one? The wise one overlooks the offense. So i want to give you two simple steps on this piece. Right now, you can write them down. You can do it. You don't even have to pray about it. You don't have to leave. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to pray. You can just think about it right now. God's already got it for you right here. Two simple steps, two simple homework assignments. Here it is. Name something or someone you're offended by right now. What's something or someone you're offended by right now? Just first thing that comes into your mind, well, that school teacher, my spouse, that pastor, <laughs> Timber Creek Church. Okay, right? Decide to step over it. Oh, but you don't know. But man, I'm not going to. Oh. Decide. Just Des- Decide to step over it. The risks are too high for you to live offended. Now, those are for the simple things. Those are for the things you can see that you can step over. But if you've lived long enough, you know that there are elements in your life that are so big and so monstrous monstrous, and so hurtful. They're so, they've become not, not a trap to step over, they've become a wall that's caged you in. So what do you do when you can't step over it? That physical, verbal, sexual abuse, the affair that still just sears your emotions. Your freedom was taken. You're feeling a pressure you've never felt before and you can't step over, it, you don't know what to do and you need wisdom and a next step that you need to take? What do you do when you can't step over it? The wound in the relationship, the words that you wish your dad would have said and he never will say. How do you step over that? I can tell you, you can't. So what you have to do is you just have to go through it. You have to go through it. How am I gonna go through that wall? I want you to know here's how you won't go through it. Here's how you don't have to go through it. You don't have to go through it alone. The Bible's so clear. When you feel like you've got to walk through fire, he'll walk with you. When you feel like you're drowning, he'll make a way for you to walk through when there seems no way. Even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, you don't have to be afraid of that. I'll be with you. You may not be able to get over it, but you can go through it. And there's a key that unlocks all that. There's a key in your life that unlocks the stuff you can't get over, but that you got to go through. Write it down. That key is forgiveness. Now, that's not a very motivating word, you know. People aren't really motivated by a bunch of discipline. We are motivated more by the reward, not by the discipline. I got to get through the discipline to get to the reward. So I have to discipline myself to train up to run a long distance race. And the reward is not necessarily in all of the extra running. The reward's going to be finishing at that finish line. There's something good there. But in the meantime, it don't feel very good to go through the discipline. Discipline for a while is tough. And forgiveness is a discipline. Like kids, they are not really motivated by discipline. They aren't. I mean, they don't come to you and say, oh, my bedroom is not clean again. Spank me. You know, like, the, and then I'll be motivated. Like... No, discipline is there to grow their character and character is what then builds the discipline. So yeah, it's not very sexy to talk about forgiveness is the key. We wish it were something better. Let me tell you what's a sexier thing to try and get through all this. Revenge! <laughs> I'm all get, They're gonna get what's coming. Get them God, get them God. Whew, one too many Red Bulls today, everybody. The key to getting through is they gotta know, they gotta feel it, they gotta know the pain. Or I know it's better. Sounds a lot, It's a lot more motivating. The key is to ignore. Oh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna leave them on red. They all gonna get the voicemail. I'm never calling them back. Block them on Facebook. Thanksgiving. No, I'm not talking to them as we're going through the line in Grandma's kitchen. Ignore. The key is to fight. We're going to fight it out. Hold my hoops. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, days before he's to be executed, days before he's going to be assassinated by the government, he pins the words to his protege Timothy I have fought the good fight there are things worth fighting for. There are things worth fighting for, but he fought the good fight. Some of you are wasting a lot of time, and a lot of relationship on fighting fights that don't really matter. And do you know what it's doing? It's stealing one of the most valuable things you have and that's time. Do you know what else it's doing? It's affecting your health. It's affecting you emotionally and mentally and even physically. When you hang on to an offense, it will affect your physiology, your chemistry. It will affect you health-wise. I had a doctor write a letter to me talking about this and this is what the letter said. Um, (laughs) That's a joke. Um, I took it to to heart. No, that's not real. But there is a doctor from Johns Hopkins Hospital, Karen Swartz, who's the director of Adult Mood Disorder. And here's what she wrote. There is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. There's a weight that you carry. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, Blood pressure and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. But look what she says. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. You will never find something in the Bible that Jesus says for you to do that today's medicine will say is wrong. You can search and search and search. You can dig for hundreds of years and there has not been one archeological piece of evidence that would say Jesus is not who he says he is. It would have been found. Guess what, you know why it hadn't been found? Because he is who he says he is and you can stand on the power and the promises of his word to you and to me forgiveness is healthy the key to getting through is forgiveness now that's not very motivating but here let me tell you why with the rest of the time as i wrap up today as i begin to close <laughs> I think the reason why forgiveness gets a bad rap is because we don't really understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. There's a whole lot of things that forgiveness isn't that you think it is and it isn't. So let me just give you, real fast, seven things that forgiveness isn't and that it is. The first one is this, forgiveness is not saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's fine, it's okay. So it's it, whatever, it's, no, it, it's forget about it, it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Listen to me, everybody. Listen to me, Nacogdoches and online and everybody at Duncan. Jesus sees your sin and he meets you in a place where you're not okay, but he does not say your sin is okay. This is a church where we have an axiom. We say it's okay not to be okay. We just don't want you to stay that way. Jesus doesn't want you to stay that way. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is just okay with your sin. Him forgiving you before you ever asked for it isn't saying no big deal. It's such a big deal that he died over it, he died for your sin. So forgiveness is not saying it's okay. They hurt you, they wounded you, they did something, they said something, they, 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 have, they have been consistently there. This is not right, this is wrong in every estimation, even if I've identified it, I have, I have thought about it, I've prayed about it. This is, is not my imagination running wild, they have done evil to me. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay, because it's not, it's not okay. Some of you have done some things that you need forgiveness over. It's not okay, and you want them to say it's okay. It's not, and it never will be. You don't have to live with that, but you need to understand the truth of what forgiveness really is. It's not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is saying you don't owe me. Because when you take the trap, when you take the scandal on, when you take the cheat, it's a, you owe me, it's a clenched fist. It's saying, you're gonna hurt, you're gonna get this, I am gonna hang on, and you're gonna owe me, you're gonna, you're gonna show me that you're sorry at some point. And Jesus just says, you don't owe me. There's nothing you could ever do that would earn my love. You don't owe me. I paid for it all. That's what forgiveness is. Number two, forgiveness isn't a feeling, because, ha, <laughs> ha, ha, whoo, that's gonna be a hard feeling to find. Forgiveness isn't a feeling where, mm, 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 mm. oh, I forgive them now because we had a good dinner together. No, forgiveness is a decision. It's something you have to decide. Hey, have you heard the word pesticide before? The word pesticide? What does pesticide do? It kills pests. <laughs> Lufkin got it going on. Um, yeah, pesticide, insecticide. Uh, genocide, that, that's, that's more of a deeper, major situation having to do with genetics and gene and, and like family and, and stuff like that. Genocide that's happened in our, in our world. Um, suicide, um, the killing of oneself. So, so the word decide has almost like a negative tone to it. But the word decide, what it means is to kill your options, to kill your options. And to choose. This is the way I'm going. When when we say things like, I just want to keep my options open, do you know what you're saying? That's French for, I can't make a decision. <laughs> I'm just living my best single life, just want to keep my options open. <laughs> you might not have any options, okay? <laughs> like, let's just call it what it is, buddy, right? You thinking you got options. You don't got no options, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Woo! Mm. Moving on a little bit of a flashback to me in high school, <laughs> keeping my options open. <laughs> That's why I don't have a girlfriend. Oh. Um, sorry. <laughs> you got to decide. You know what? Some of you, you want to live for Jesus, but you're hanging on. You want to follow Jesus, but you're trapped. You want to follow Jesus, but you, you are trapped over here because you can't kill your other option because it makes you That revenge or that ignoring or that that thing they need to know. They need to pay for what they did. You won't be able to follow Jesus. You can't decide to follow Jesus without making that choice to forgive. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. Number three, forgiveness is not an event. It's not like you write it on the calendar and on this day you celebrate a birthday. I'm going to celebrate forgiveness this day. It's not an event. The Bible shows us clearly it's a process. It's, it's, a, it's a process. Peter the Apostle, here's what he says to Jesus in Matthew 18 Peter came to Jesus and asked, Hey Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Seven times? He, was an, he, he understood the Talmud, which was like Jewish literature. And in Jewish literature that he would have been reading as a a young man, it would say, you can forgive someone up to three times and then you don't have to forgive anymore. So he's saying, well, how many times should I forgive Jesus? Because you're talking about this bigger thing. Should it be seven? So he's saying double what the Jewish rabbis, plus one. You know, he's putting an extra one on there. Seven times? (laughs) No, Jesus says, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What? Say what? Yeah, that's a lot. Some of you, you work Monday through Friday, and Becky in HR, you gotta learn how to forgive Becky. But Monday through Friday, it's gonna be Monday through Friday for a while. You know, 70 times seven, 490 days. There's 252 Monday through Fridays in a calendar year. So you might be on 47. (laughs) You You only got 215 more to go, 205 more to go. You're good but it's gonna take a while. Every day you're waking up, I forgive them. I don't feel like forgiving, I'm deciding, I'm killing my other options. I am not gonna live in offense, I forgive. Number four, we're gonna skip, because this morning, as I look through my notes, I sensed that Jesus wanted to put this one at the very end for us today. So so I want you to just circle it on your notes somewhere, or you're digitally, just come back to it. We'll come back to it, because I think Jesus wants to do something with this particular one at the very end. So number five, forgiveness is not trust. It's not trust where when you forgive, they get all the trust back. Your teenage uh, child uh, snuck out of the house, took the car, wrecked it into a mailbox and you forgive them and they're like, cool, can I go somewhere tomorrow night with my friends? Can I have the key to the other car? You're like, no, but I thought you forgave me. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. I trust you to stay in your room. You're grounded. I trust you to give me your phone right now. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. You earn trust, but people don't, they can't earn your forgiveness because you can't earn forgiveness. Forgiveness has to be a gift. Trust is then earned. So when there's an affair, forgiveness has to be given. It's a gift that you unwrap and you wrap yourselves in. There's gonna be some trust that has to be rebuilt over time. You've gotta measure that. Out of one to 10, we were a 10 before the thing. We might be a two now. What's it gonna take to get to a five when it comes to trust? Forgiveness is a 10 the whole way. I forgive you and I forgive you. But tomorrow I'm gonna give you a 10 on forgiveness tomorrow too. Trust is on a scale and you grow it over time. Number six, forgiveness is not dependent upon an apology. Some of you are saying, I'll forgive them, but they need to say they're sorry. They need to admit to what they did. They need to own up to the debt. Some of you will never get that apology. You will never get the words, I'm sorry. And I want to say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As your pastor, I've had way too many conversations where people have been so wounded but people outside of the church and inside the church. I'm sorry. And I wish they would see it. I, 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 I would pray they would see it and they would come to you and say, what have I done? That day may never Don't let them and their lack of understanding keep you caged in and not living the life God intended you to live. Forgiveness is not dependent upon apology. It only takes one to forgive. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, the Lamb of God was slain, paying for your sin, paying for your forgiveness. It only takes one to forgive. Jesus forgives you. But guess what? It does take two to reconcile. So you don't have to wait for an apology to forgive them. But if that relationship is ever going to be restored, and not every relationship is meant to be restored, some relationships, some will be resurrected, some need to stay dead. There are some, there are some relationships that have died that you need to forgive, but that you do not need to raise that thing from the dead. You gotta keep that sucker buried. It's done. Move on. But you can't move on because you've got you've got you stepped in a trap that's t- connected to their tombstone. You got to move on. It takes two to reconcile, though. So if both of you will reconcile, this is what Jesus did with us. He forgives us. It's a gift, but you have to accept it. And it takes two of us to be reconciled to God. He did all the work. I have to receive it. That's beautiful reconciliation with the Savior of humanity. Number seven, forgiveness may not change their heart. You would think you would think that forgiveness would change their heart, that, all, that they would be good, like you say, hey, I forgive you. And they're like, I got, I got nothing to apologize for. Or you'd live free and, and they still are gonna be crusty. They're gonna be crusty. Forgiveness, they may not change their heart. That's not a guarantee. You don't do it to change their heart. Forgiveness won't change their heart, but forgiveness always changes yours. It always Changes yours. So I go back to Peter seven times. Should I forgive? And Jesus replied, No, 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 not, not 70, 70 times seven. And then Jesus goes on to tell Peter a quick story. He compares the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, with this story. Listen to what Jesus tells Peter and what Jesus wants to tell us today. He says, the kingdom of heaven, it's like, um, it can be compared to, it's kind of like this. It's like a king who decided to bring his accounts to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, that guy, he couldn't pay. So the king ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, here's what's what's crazy about that. He's going to sell them to pay the debt. But, like, that's not really going to pay the debt. That's that's more about, like, him feeling good about it. When you think that revenge is going to pay your debt, it's not going to pay your debt. It may make you feel good in a moment, but it's going to bring rot to your bones. Here's what the man does who owes millions of dollars. He, he fell down before the king and he begged him, please, 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 please be patient with me and I will pay it all. I'll pay it all. And they say a million dollars because a million dollars sounds like a lot to, to a lot of us and not a lot to some of us and a little bit to a few of you. But in this culture, in this day and age, millions was unreachable, unreachable. I'll pay it back, no he won't. There's no way he could pay it back in 10 lifetimes. The king was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. So he didn't just release him and say, pay me back when you can. He says, "Hmm. okay, you've asked for forgiveness. I give it to you. But here's where the story takes a crazy turn. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him Thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. The guy who just got freed from a million bucks, the guy he grabs by the throat, he says, Be patient with me and I will repay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. He's not gonna pay him in full in prison. That man who was completely freed, the exact same thing, he wanted to pay the debt by making him pay with his life. So. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven. I wonder when he got that call. Well, hey, king, how you doing? How you doing, amigo? Man, just living my best life. Thank you so, so, so much for you not uh, uh, making me owe that million bucks. He's like, hey, I'd like to see you in my throne room for a minute. He's like, okay. I wonder what he's gonna do. I bet he's gonna make me part of the royal kingdom. (laughs) Whoopsie. (laughs) king called in the man he had forgiven and he did not say what's up buddy the king says you evil servant i forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as i had mercy on you to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt again a big problem big problem him being tortured isn't going to make him millions of dollars but his pain is going to ease the king's frustration and anger it's going to cover that and here's where it gets weird Here's where it's gets weird if you don't understand the gospel. If you don't understand what Jesus has done for you, this gets weird. Because Jesus says these words. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Are you trying to say that God is gonna prison me and torture me until I pay my entire debt. Here's what it means, here's what this means. Isolated And tortured And destroyed The hand of God comes upon him He is forsaken He takes all of the debt Of the sin of the world upon him So that you can receive it As a gift That's how God sees you now He sees you through what his son has done Not through what you did Forgiveness is not forgetting or ignoring. God does not ignore your sin. God does not forget your sin. The Bible says that He casts it out and He chooses to forget forget it, to remember it no more. But that's a choice. That's not a whoopsie, I needed to tie a, a string around my finger to remind myself of all the bad things that Bobby did. It's not about forgetting or ignoring. Here's what forgiveness is all about forgiveness. Jesus did for me. That he paid it for me. That when you were being taken to the prison house, Jesus says, I'll take his place. I'll take her place. So why would you, if Jesus took your place like that, why would you cage yourself, chain yourself back up by living offended? Let's pray together. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads today? At all of our locations, I want to start with everybody in the room and then I'm going to talk to a specific group. Everybody in the room, maybe you know something that's offended you, that's hurt you, that's wounded you. There's some things you need to step over and there's some stuff that, that are so big you got to walk through it and you need the grace of God and his forgiveness to remember what Jesus did for you so that you can do that for others. If that's you, with honesty right now, I'm inviting you. Would you raise a hand? I would love to pray with you today. Keep it up. We're not looking around, but just keep it up. And you know, the reason I'm asking you to keep it up is because I want you to know that Jesus in this moment, he's taking your hand. You're raising it and he's grabbing your hand right now. You're not alone. He sees you, he loves you. Jesus, for those of us that need to forgive, I include myself in this prayer. Thank you for loving me so much that you didn't, you didn't shrug me away. I think there were times you did not feel like going to the cross, but you said, nevertheless, his will be done. And because of what you did for me, it gives me the power to do that for others because I wanna be like you. God, I will never forget what they did, but I don't wanna live caged by this. So starting today, and it may be 70 times seven, today I choose. With that hand raised, I want you to make it into a fist. Make it into a fist at all of our locations, watching online, I choose today, Lord. Now open that arm, open that hand. I choose to let them go, to release them. I choose to not take the bait. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. Jesus is doing a work in you right now. But there are some of you, you don't even know what it's like to forgive someone else because you don't know what it's like to truly be forgiven by Jesus. And he's already done it. And it's a gift and it's nothing you could ever earn. And if you're here and you know in your heart, oh, I need Jesus in my heart. I, I need him for, to forgive me when I've tried to be my own boss, my own God, my own authority. I want to surrender Thank you for giving me this moment to make things right with you. Thank you for not being mad at me. I give you my life and I give you my heart. I give you the throne of my life. Be the king. Thank you, Jesus, for washing away what I couldn't. Giving me a fresh start when I couldn't. Giving me new life. I choose to live for you now. We ask healing upon those moments of forgiveness. We ask that there would be this this week, just a tidal wave of forgiveness pour out of this church family onto those that don't deserve it. (laughs) May not even change their heart, but because of what you did, Jesus, we didn't deserve forgiveness either. So we release them and we will not live offended. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.